I'm Sean Kennedy, and this is Backstage at the Enharmonic. Today's guest is acclaimed drummer, band leader, and composer, Sherry Maracle. She's probably best known as the drummer for the Diva Jazz Orchestra. In today's episode, we talk about her start in the music business playing a metal clarinet back in elementary school, the founding of the Diva Jazz Orchestra and its longevity and impact, some new recording projects she has going on with her large and small groups, and we even get into her gear, talking about cymbals, drums, and drumsticks. This interview was a real blast. Sherry's a real hero of mine and a great person. I hope you enjoy my interview with Sherry Maracle here on Backstage at the Enharmonic. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for taking time to be on the podcast today. Hey, Sean. Great pleasure to be here. I usually begin all my interviews at the beginning uh, with my guest artist. So where did um, music start for you? What's your earliest memory of music in your life? Uh, As a kid, I woke up every single morning with my mom listening to either Irish folk music or country music. Mm-hmm. And I remember later in um, just w- with my two, two younger sisters and I, we would wake up and my mom would start before she went to work at 630 or so a.m. loud. And we'd be like, Mom, sh- shut that off. You know, we would be like losing our mind and kind of developed. A, I rebelled against that music for quite a while until uh, I became an intelligent adult before I embraced the uh, awesome vibes of Irish folk music slash my heritage and the super cool grooves of uh, country music. Right on. Uh, me too. I have I have a similar heritage, and I've tried to play the boron, and I can't do it. Have you ever tried? It's it's such such a different animal. <laughs> yeah, when I we went to visit some some cousins, and my my grandmother's home is still there in County Mayo, in uh, the middle of Ireland, all the way on the west coast, and uh, a bunch of cousins were hanging around. And one thing they did on Sundays is they all got together and uh, just like had a jam session, sang, read poems. They most played instruments. This is a large crowd of like twenty or thirty distant relatives and friends, and all the little kids were like, we'll show you how to do it. And they just picked it up and like a brum, 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 like those crazy triplets. And yeah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> put me in the remedial class right away. Yeah. I have one, but I it's, yeah, it's on the list of things I must do. Yeah. They're so cool. And actually my, my friend and great bass player, Amy Shook just gave me a pair of amazing wooden spoons. They're kind of, mm-hmm. they're, atta- they're attached, but I was watching just, I've watched them in the past, but I, I watched a few more seriously about some spoon players and man, that's mm-hmm. awesome too. Just incredible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that stuff. All right. So uh, your mom liked Irish and country music. Uh, did your parents play music? Were they musicians at all? Did they play any instruments? No. Oh, my father played a uh, trumpet when he was a, when he was a young kid and he always liked jazz. He always talked about, it. he's, he's passed away, but he always discussed how much he loved jazz, which maybe uh Maybe it's in the DNA. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. You uh, grew up in New York, New York State, right? Yeah, I was born in Buffalo. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, birthplace of Mel Lewis, one of my big idols. And then, right. um, and then I moved to a town. My parents moved to a town called Endicott, New York, which is in the middle of New York State, right on the border with Pennsylvania. It's about okay. two hundred miles uh, west of New York City and two hundred miles east of Buffalo. Okay. And coming up, uh, besides the music at your house, were you involved in um, academic music through high school and middle school and all that? Yeah, when you were allowed to take an instrument in fourth grade, I was excited about it. And, you know, probably because my mom had music in the house all the time, but I wanted to play an instrument and I wanted to play the trumpet. And the fourth grade music teacher informed me that girls could not play the trumpet. Oh. So gave me a metal clarinet, which uh, is very, you know, is very depressing and I didn't like it. But also we, we could be an orchestra, so I also started playing cello then which was a very, very good music program in where I grew up. 
and um, anyway, long story short, around in the sixth grade, uh, they were playing, the uh, band director had something that featured a lot of percussion and asked for volunteers. I was like squawking away on like, if there was whatever the, however many clarinets, I was always the last one, whatever, <laughs> you know, if there was a 13th clarinet, it would be me. Anyway. Uh, so I was like, I'll do it. I'll go, I'll go hit stuff. So I went back to the percussion section and then just, you know, never left. So was that the moment? Like, did the director say you should stay back there and keep playing percussion at that point? No, no I just, I just wanted, I just, I didn't want to play the other instruments. And I was on the, the teetering, always on the brink actually of like not playing in band because I didn't like the clarinet so much. Well, especially in the metal clarinet, it was actually quite a piece of junk instrument anyway, which mm -hmm. is unfortunate for a young kids starting that. But I, I didn't, I didn't like it. So the band, I actually did kind of, but I attempted to quit a few times and the, the band director would call home and say, Oh, come on, convince, you know, convince my mom to have me stay. And I did, you know, but cause I loved music, but I, anyway, it was kind of a, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the greatest until I switched to percussion, mm -hmm. but I just wouldn't, I wouldn't leave once I got back there, but okay. it wasn't, it wasn't the thing for me. The thing that, that made me want to play percussion was when I, I, I the, my seventh grade teacher took me to see Buddy Rich and his killer force at the forum in Binghamton, New York. Mm. And I was in the back row of the balcony and I saw that and I'm not kidding. The band was in a tuxedo, buddy walked out in a t-shirt, a black t-shirt. And they, when the minute they hit the first note, like I, I'm not even kidding you. I get a goosebump now because I relive that moment so many times, all the hairs on my entire body stood on end, you know, and I felt like I was electrocuted in the most positive way. I didn't know what it was, but I did literally run home. And I said to my mom, mom, I don't know what big band is. I don't know what this is, but I have to play this music. And that's, that's honest to God. That's all I've ever wanted to do since then. That was the moment for me, for sure. I mean, I, I'm so lucky. I got to see him so many times in that little, the town I grew up in, I mentioned Endicott, New York, besides the big venues, uh, there was a big concert arena where I got to see Count Basie, like a 6,000 seat arena, but there's all a sports arena, but there was also many, many theaters and a tiny little place. It was called like the Endicott Motor Lodge. It wasn't even like as fancy as the Holiday Inn. It was like literally it's dumpy motor lodge, but they had jazz. I saw Woody Herman there, Maynard Ferguson, Buddy Rich multiple, multiple times. Like it, like picture any kind of like, you know, dazing type motor lodge and kind of what, what sort of a ballroom they might have. And Buddy, I mean, I was like this close to him, like so wow. many times. It, it was, you know, and it was like $5 or something. I mean, and then and that's some at the bottom line in New York, you know, a few times too. And it's nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. Did you ever uh, talk to him or hang out a little bit with him? I did. I did. I went well, once at the, uh, at the motor lodge, I, I, I went onto his bus, just, I waited in line and very nervously and sheepishly climbed in there and he was in his bathrobe and he goes, what do you want, kid? <laughs> Mr. Richie, like your autograph. <laughs> you know? Wow. And that was it. I got close to him. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So uh, Diva, a jazz orchestra, uh, they're almost 30 years old this year, right? We, we, um, our first gig was in 93. So we're, we're getting there almost. Okay. okay but right. we, our, our auditions were in June of 1992. So technically we, we did form the band in June of 92. And then, okay. so we're almost, uh, almost 30. So looking back when the band started, uh, you know, grass, it, it kind of was coming up out of nothing. Did you think it would last this long? I, I never thought about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, because actually, in, you know, again, this is whole like a buddy being my inspiration. The, per, the man that formed Diva was named Stanley Kay. And he was the manager of Buddy. He joined, joined Buddy in 1947 at the Sherman Hotel in Chicago. I have this the story in my head because Stanley told me so many times. And 
on and off through the year, you know, through the years until Buddy died, Stanley was his his manager. And in the 40s and 50s, um, Stanley was actually his sub sometimes. Well, I remember not sub, but when Buddy was singing, mm -hmm. there's some videos have emerged with with Buddy in the front of the band tapping or whatever, and Stanley on drums. Mm -hmm. You know, and Stanley Stanley played with a Patty Page, played on drums on How Much Is That Doggy in the Window. Oh wow! Frankie Lane and uh, like Josephine Baker, and he's a he was a great great drummer himself. And so it was interesting when Stanley called me about forming Diva. I knew Stanley because I reading the you know, Buddy Rich stories and tales. And just to have Buddy Rich's manager say to me, he liked the way I played. It was such a huge compliment. And I was kind of flabbergasted by how, how, how interesting that was that he called and he wanted to form Diva. And so there we are. And now we had an audition and now we're still going, but no, <laughs> I had no, I didn't, I didn't even, I just knew that wow, Buddy Rich's manager wants to form a big band and I get to play drums in it. I'll do it, you know, and then, yeah. And knew it. And he, you know, uh, some experience. He wanted it to be all women because he was in the music business his whole life. And in New York, New York, he passed away 10 years ago, but New Yorker through and through and said, I see all these bands in town and all these famous bands. And he said, I don't see a single woman playing in any of them. And he had heard me play in another situation. And he was just curious why no women were playing in any of the big bands. And, it, it, you know, and of course he had memories of the sweethearts of rhythm back from the swinger and all, but I, he said, do you know other women that can really play? And I said, of course. <laughs> and so and he said, look, I don't care if you guys have mustaches. I don't care if you weigh 300 pounds. I don't care what, you know, you can have rolls and fat and a beard. I don't care as long as you can play. If you can play, you can play. That was it. And I was really thrilled by that because prior, no, a lot of times women go into a situation and it's more about how you look versus how you play. You know, and I, and actually you can even probably, well, now, now you can easily look in like a backstage magazine or a billboard. And if there's an ad, ads would be most not for big bands, but for pop groups. I mean, I've seen many of them, you know, we're going for a look, we're mm -hmm. going for a look. And famously our great lead trumpet player, Liesl Whitaker, wish she had got a gig in Spain and some kind of a TV show, but her, the first audition requirement was send us a picture of your legs. Oh my God. No, but can you, I mean, can you imagine, John, if somebody said to you, hey, uh, yeah, you want to play drums? Let me see your legs. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> but anyway, that's a that's just a long story to get to the point of that Stanley didn't, he didn't care. And he really didn't care, which was which was even more thrilling in knowing that um, his musical taste and his sensibility to keep a strong core deeply rooted in that tradition of like Buddy Rich, Basie, the Thundering Herd bands, like modern and progressive for the for the era but still really swinging like with a sense of groove you know not trying to make it a, in any way avant-garde or like chamber music or you know like many of the i guess it's called large ensemble today people mm -hmm. don't say big band so much anymore but you know to make it but I, I like that because that's the way that's the music that speaks to my soul as well heart and soul it's got to be swinging right exactly and i was thinking as i was getting ready for this interview um of what an institution the band has become and you've become. Uh, and I've witnessed it because I remember way back in college in the early 90s, um, Ernie Watts was coming into sitting with my college big band. And at the time I was young and I wasn't really sure who Ernie Watts was. And I was talking to some guys and they're like, oh, Ernie Watts is coming. He played the theme to Night Court. I'm like, yeah, that's all right. And then they're like, the Night Show band. I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And then somebody said, and he toured with Buddy. And I was like, okay, that's it. 
all right, the guy's like, I know where he is now. And I've witnessed the same thing with your band because I've gone to the NAM show numerous times and there'll be jam sessions and people like new people, I'm like, who's that, who's that, who's that? And every time someone comes up on stage and I'm like, well, who's that woman there playing saxophone? They're like, well, she plays with this group. I'm like, uh, okay, well, all right. Then they're like, she's in Diva. It's like, oh, I understand her performance level. So it's like the oh. same as Buddy for me. So as soon as someone says it to me, um, it's I know where the bar was set. And so it's, uh, that's a Thank testament you. to you, I think. Yeah, I really Thank appreciate you, it. Yeah. You know, and it also becomes one of those one of those things that I wouldn't say that I was a uh, I mean, of course, in 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 general, in the in, I'm definitely, I guess, I guess you would say a feminist for sure. But I mean, just I mean, equality is equality. Period. You can put any label on it, but but not um, in the way of music. I kind of was just about Stanley. If you can play, you can play, and that was his mantra. It didn't matter, you know. So it's, this is I, uh, it's not really confusing for me, but I, I got to a point, especially a couple of circumstances triggered me to be more. Uh, aggressive in my pursuit of helping women and, and younger women. Um, because like, for, for example, we were on a short tour and we were going to Atlanta and I was touring with a show and um, with a show called Tapping Through Life. Wait, let me move. Wait, there it is. Tapping Through Life. The oh, show yeah. with great dancer, Maurice Hines. And I was the you know music director, came with a trio, wanted to pick up six horns. And the person in charge of the Alliance Theater, not in charge, a woman, I can't remember what her uh, title was, I called and I said, oh, like, do you, who are some great women in town that can play? I need two trumpets, a bone, and three saxes. Oh, women don't play those instruments. And that was like six six years ago. I got, wow. you know, six I got years. so mad. Yeah, like six years ago. What I'm telling you is, you know, when you get, I don't know, I've, our, my Irish tempo, I know you're Irish too, so you must, I felt myself get red. Right. Like, I turned, I turned red. On the, my ears were hot. I got, I just couldn't believe that I was hearing that. So that made me more focused on, just again, I because I, I, my point is, I guess that because men, men have played in diva too. Because the point is that the band is elevated to such a level, and all of the music's commissioned. It's really great, really great charts by Tommy Newsom, Micah Benny, members of the band. Uh, and I, so, if I, there wasn't a woman that could fill the chair, I didn't care. I'm just like put anybody in there that I know, you know, is a good fit and plays great. But anyway, so after that point, six years ago, I was a little bit more. Uh, I'm a little bit more aggressive about finding, you know, finding women to give an opportunity to because because still for some reason although it's much it's changed quite a bit that still it's still i don't think 100 percent even playing field you know if there's in years ago i used to say you know if someone gave you a list of you know 20 people and like three of them were women and 17 men and you said here make a big band like probably a lot of people automatically wouldn't gravitate towards you know hiring a woman for some reason maybe mm -hmm. it's not true i feel like it's there's still some of that going on though and uh, I have a lot of students, so you got a lot of young students. I always use you as an inspiration for any of the young women that are in my group that come to me seeking inspiration. They're like, listen, uh, we love Count Basie. We love Gordon Goodwin, all this stuff, whatever we're doing. But where can I go? Because I'm a you know a 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl playing saxophone. I said, you have to check out Sherry's band, Diva. I said, they're incredible musicians, and they happen to be women. Uh, check them out. And every girl falls in love with the band that I introduce them to. And I introduce it to the boys, too. A lot of girls specifically come to me saying, where can I find some inspiration in, in big band jazz? Because there's not as much, as you just said, if you have 20 people, you know, and uh, they all love that. Now, the, this leads me to my next question as far as inspiration. Um, you got to work with one of my heroes. Um, I never met the woman, but I loved her show, and I wish I could have met her, Marion McPartland. Oh, my uh, gosh, yeah, yeah. Your, your interview with her, it's 
Marion just, she blew me away. Like I, I was introduced to her show sometime in college or the end of high school. And I was like the most avid listener. I listened repeatedly. What was it like to work with her? She's just such, such an inspiring person. Yeah, it's almost like there are actually no words because she was such a genius. Such a genius. Oh my God, I, I've admired her and met her a few times over the years. I mean, got to sit with her in her living room in her house in Long Island and just chat wow. away. But man, the thing that besides her playing, I mean, I, I forgot what all the songs that we played with her, but her studio was so cool. You know, two great Steinway pianos, you know, nuzzled together and then the drums in the bass and ISO booths for all that. But it was all live. And the producer said, you know what? You got one shot in there. No, no overdubs, no retakes, no nothing. You know, so just be prepared because it was it was I, I, it wasn't her last show, but it was near the end of her doing her show. So, you know, she was a uh, she was up there in years and they're like, nope, Marion's all about the get in there. So we sat across the table. And she'd ask me a question and I, I th I'm sure she would crack up laughing at me, me telling the story, but she'd go, Oh, you know, Sherry, tell me about this or that. So I would say something and then she, then she'd go, let's hear that arrangement. And then, then she'd say, I've got to pee. And then she'd leave and we would play the tune. Then she'd come back like nothing happened. And she would sit back down and go, that was lovely. Now I know she was peeing the whole time. <laughs> that was funny. She was so funny. I just, I, and yeah, and she sat down. I got, and I've seen her. I saw her do this like live too, at a couple of gigs. She would start playing, and she'd go, "What, what key am I in?" And she could just. I mean, she was just a so. It didn't even matter. Any key was like irrelevant to her. Wow. She could play in any key, but she just like knew every song, every which way. It was like a. There was nothing, no barriers between her and her um, creative artistic expression. It was like magical, very magical. So that, all right, I didn't even think about this question beforehand, but now you just made me think of a question. So if she had another pianist in there with her, um, all of it was just spontaneous. She'd be like, oh, let's do this song. And it would just bang. It was just, it just there was no preparation. It was just, you had to go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and no, and you know what? And too bad. If you don't like what you played, too bad. If you screw up, if something's wrong, too bad. That's it. Well, that's, and actually that's, that's the awesomeness of anything live. That's why all my, you know, Buddy Rich live at Ronnie Scott's, like all those records with the glasses clinking and the yes. crowd making. I love those. Those are my favorite records of all time. Yep. When mm -hmm. stuff is too overproduced and you fix everything so it doesn't even sound like human beings are playing anymore. I'm like, why? You know, right. say if there's a little bit of a hair on a note here or something's not quite right or if it, yeah, I don't know. So what? If it speeds yeah. up a notch or whatever, like it's not the end of the world. That happens because, you know, you're excited or whatever. I, like I got to do a, uh, a session a couple of years ago with uh, Bob Mincer, and he was listening to one of his uh, solos. And mm -hmm. we went in the booth, and he's listening, and his face was kind of like, mm. and I said, you want to do it again? He goes, no, man, every great album has a little fuzz on it. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, that's beautiful. He's like, no, no, leave it alone. He said, that's what I did. That we're done. I'm like, all right, great. You know, I know. I like, yeah. I like that. I like that too. Sometimes it's sometimes it's hard, but you know, I have some bandmates that. If you let them, they would they would like fix it, like oh can you shave like a something off this eighth note oh the, you know it's just like oh my god <laughs> it's gonna take like fifteen hours to mix one tune <laughs> you know right exactly I've been doing a lot of since this pandemic hit I've been go, revisiting some old charts uh, Sinatra charts and stuff and I've been uh, trying to transcribe some of the drum things that I liked and uh, one thing I've learned since pandemic hit I think is that a lot of my famous dr favorite drummers made lots of mistakes on recordings because I, I would listen to this stuff and I'm like, wait a minute, why didn't the drums hit that trumpet thing? He should have hit yes. that. Oh, they probably only recorded it once or twice and they're like, that's it. 
I'm like, oh, yeah. wow, he made a mistake. It's like my, like the world opened up to me that one of my heroes made a mistake on a recording. So it's pretty yeah. cool. Well, I, have, I, I have this uh, recording that I'm, I'm really happy uh, that um, Diva, we had an opportunity to tour a bit with Nancy Wilson. And there's a recording of us from the Manchester Craftsman's Guild, a video recording. Well, it's, it's on a CD too, but I just remember like one thing, I, I wanted to play stuff like, like some kind of a hit, but instead I, I didn't do that. I like, I crashed the cymbal where I meant to drop a bomb. It's just funny. It's something I hear and I'm like, oh, I'm going to kill myself. But no, right. now it's, just, it's there. That's yep. what I did. You know, <laughs> so I, I know what you're saying, but it's, you know, and then, then, it's only in recent years of, of get the older you get, more experience you have. Like probably when I did that, I was probably like, I'm going to kill myself. This is awful. This is the worst thing I've ever done. You know, but it, it, at least for me anyway, when I was younger, I would be brutally brutal on myself. I think a lot of people are in the arts. You know, if you do something you didn't intend, it's like it's, it seems at least for me, it, it seems like such a how, how can I make a mistake? You know, this and that. And then as I get older, I'm like, meh. Right. <laughs> yeah, but actually, when I used to when I studied with Mel Lewis, I used to go crying. We never we never played at a lesson except the the times he you know he let me play he let me play in his band a couple of times the third set at the Vanguard, which was a uh, both it was so terrifying but one of the best slash worst experiences of my life. <laughs> For, but he uh, at other than those times we would be in his apartment and. Uh, he never, he didn't even have, he didn't have brushes, sticks, no pad, nothing, no drums. We were just talking. I'd bring him a recording and I'd be like, oh, Mel, oh my God, I'm so horrible. Listen to this. And he'd go, sounds great to me. What the hell's wrong with you? He goes, you got something in your mind you wanted to do? He's, I'm listening to it. It sounds good. You know, and if I, if he didn't like it, he would say that's, he would say that's terrible. When, when he, when I was playing, he was showing me some brush things and I, I, I was taught as a, a kid to spin counterclockwise. Okay. Yeah. Which. I don't remember who taught me that, but that's the way I was. I did it. And then when I got with Mel, no, it was not. Yes, it was. It was around Mel and I, Jeff Hamilton, actually, at the same time, I, I around right around the same time. I had some lessons with him, too. I started spinning. But but Mel, the point is, like, as a teacher, Mel is like, what are you doing that for? That's so stupid. I mean, that was his teaching style instead <laughs> of like, you might like to try this other, you know, right. concept. He's like, oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> so I like that. Right to you the know, point. So, so he was, he was like, he was, it wasn't even critical. It was just, it, it was just his vice and his delivery was, that's what it was like. That was mm -hmm. funny. I yeah. appreciated it a lot. But any, anyhow, so that's a, that's a long story just to make the point of that. We all make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Uh, so the name of the jazz orchestra is Diva. Um, who decided that it's not your name. So who decided that? Was it the Stanley K. Okay. Stanley's like, what are we going to call this band? You know, and then he was trying to think of, he goes, what means like, you know, kind of uh, associated with, with women, like, a, you know, strength and greatness. And he was thinking of the positive aspects of being a diva. Like when you say, you know, she's, there's this like, oh, don't you be a diva. Not that kind of diva, but like diva, <laughs> you know, the metropolitan right. opera type, right. you know, which I know it all has different connotations, but he was, you know, thinking of the real positive strength. Like when someone's revered as a diva versus like, you know, being analogous with being a bitch or something, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> which is not, 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 not who we are. We're the other one. I hope. The question I have about that is the institution of diva. Uh, will that keep making music, whether you're the drummer or not? No, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's, your, it's just, your, yeah. I mean, I've, I've inherited uh, a lot of Tommy Newsom's library 
And I and Johnny Mandel uh, from the recording that we did with him, uh, he gave us his big band library. I mean, I'm sure there's multiple copies, but he gave me his big band library. Mm. So it made me start to think about the hundreds of charts that I have that have been all commissioned for Diva and, you know, where should they go and what should be done with them at whatever point something needs to be done. So I just, you know, I've been, I mean, it's, I've thought about it before, but I've taken no action whatsoever. But I hope it's someplace where people can keep playing the music you know, or, or somebody wants to have a, the diva band after I'm not here, I, I, I will be thinking about that. Nice. Yeah, good question. Speaking of Tommy, Tommy Newsome, uh, the TNT album you did, uh, mm -hmm. that was a few years before Tommy died. Yep. If I, okay, did Tommy have anything to do with it or did you talk to him or? Oh yeah, I mean, he was, he produced a couple of our records. He was oh. very good, he was very good okay. friends with Stanley Kay from the Buddy Rich era. Hmm, and okay. oh yeah, he's he was really close to us. He, he actually, and we he the first time uh, we got to do a uh, like a major gig for us was we, we got to do a jazz meet symphony concert with the New York Pops Orchestra, and so we were trying to get some special repertoire put together. So we we're like, Tommy, just do you know, just you're just so you're like you're such a great writer and arranger. Just do whatever you want, but like make it like a big band symphony, like swing fest, something that's going to sound orchestral and you know, then it's going to be swinging though. So he wrote, he wrote an arrangement called of Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead, which was hysterical, but it started with this like opus, like the opening of an incredible film score, you know, wow. on all these, like the, the themes rooted around Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead, but other, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz type things melded in there. And then it went into this real up-tempo swing. It was just, it was so great. And he, yeah, and he stayed friends with us. And he would even write chart, even if we didn't ask him to write something. He was like, "Here, I thought of you guys. I wrote this for you." Wow. He would, send us, he would just send us. Cause he was retired, and you know, he was. I guess didn't have a strong big band outlet after you know the Tonight Show after Carson left and all. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and he and he played with us. We did some like at the. Uh, what did they call it? Not, it was in Virginia Beach. I don't know if it was. Uh, I can't remember the name of the jazz festival, but he guest soloed with us a few times. And, yeah, so that record, I was like, Tommy, you were, you've written us so many charts and we haven't had a chance to record them, so let's do this. I would oh. like to do this. And he was very, very, you know, happy about it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love I love all that stuff with Tonight Show band music, especially Tommy's chart. Killer. Oh, I know. I and think so I would have done... I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. Go ahead. I think I would have done better in high school academics if it wasn't for The Tonight Show because I would uh -huh. stay up late just to listen to them play in and out of the commercials and every month or so Carson would give them the guest, you know, the music spot. Uh, so I was obsessed with that band all through high school. Yeah, me too. And so so funny when uh, when Tommy was the subbing for Doc and was the band leader because yeah. he was so dry. Right. And he was really he was really like that. He was so funny. He was just always looked like a poker face, but then he would say the most crazy things. <laughs> I remember one I remember a couple of things laughing like he was mixing um, or producing one. I think it was a, a record called I Believe in You. We recorded our Ella Fitzgerald medley and it's got, you know, a bunch of Ella's hits in there. You know what he did in amazing. Well, let me tell you the story first. Sorry, get, I'm getting my, my, uh, my right. tongue is getting out of my brain. Uh, so that some of the band members were singing uh, this like kind of Andrew sisters type or Boswell sister type harmony on a, a Tisket a Tasket. And in the studio, Tommy's listening to it and he's sitting there. He goes, well, that's certainly like, that's like, sounds just like the Singers Limited <laughs> instead of Singers Unlimited. Right. <laughs> no, but he, but I mean, just, I mean, that's, that's not even one of his most funny things, but he was always saying really, really funny, like kind of under the radar sort of like digs and funny. He's very like a perfectly timed sarcasm and wit, you know, really, really funny. But he took, uh, 
all of Ella's scat choruses from How High the Moon, that very, very famous solo of hers. And he uh, orchestrated it for the whole band. So that's like the end of this Ella medley we did is her scat. All, all the choruses of her scat weave through the band. It's one of the best things. That I, I love playing that so much. It's so great. Wow. You know. That's awesome. And all the all this stuff he, all, yeah, every, everything he wrote was just so beautiful. Yeah. I miss him. Love you, Tommy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got to see him uh, once with, with Doc. Uh, they came to the Allentown Fairgrounds and played. Uh, so that was like my mind, my head exploded. Ed was there, Doc, Tommy. It was like, you know, all my heroes on stage at once. Yeah. yeah. Um, really funny. I, I saw it one time I was in a Los Angeles and I went to this uh, club called Dante's, which was a downstairs, really, really cool club. And Ed Shaughnessy was playing in there with his big band. And it was a really low ceiling. And it, it was like a club in New York called, well, like the Vanguard or like Fat Tuesdays was another thing. You know, you walk downstairs and the ceiling mm -hmm. is like here. Right. But I remember everything was mic'd and Ed was playing with brushes. And I was actually like, <laughs> and I like loud music, I, especially jazz. I could listen to it really loud, but I was like, how is this so loud? And he's playing with brushes. Wow. He was great. I loved him too. He was a really nice man. Yeah, I met him once. He was very nice. And just drumming, just forget it. It was incredible. Uh, once I once at a jazz festival, uh, some group I was in was playing ahead of his group, so his I had to play on his drum set. It was so awkward and horrible for me because it was I, first of all I didn't I don't play double bass drum, but just the way the whole the whole thing was set up was really a, it was weird. Right. Was weird yeah. Yeah. So let's see. All right. So you have uh, a bunch of advanced degrees in percussion, and <laughs> I it ties into uh, my own master's studies. Because when I was getting my master's back in almost 20 years ago now, I had to do a chamber recital and a solo recital. And for my chamber recital, I picked Prelude and Funk. Uh, oh, oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So I was going through the Weiss catalog, and I'm like, oh, she wrote it. What is it? And I, I ordered it, and it was great. I had a sax player play it with me. Why did you write that piece? And have you done any other things like that? I, might just, I wrote it because I was in doing my own recital, and I wanted to play something like Okay. You know, kind of like that with my friend on saxophone. I also uh -huh. played, um, and I was playing, uh, which was, you know, the hardest thing I've ever played in my life. On marimba was a Kiro Uyama's divertimento for alto sax oh, and, uh, yeah. and, and marimba. And I love that piece. Bye. <laughs> my my father-in-law is leaving. <laughs> that was extraordinary. Uh, anyway, I just thought, let's play something that's not that hard and that's kind of fun. It's got a little improvisation in it. And that's yeah. kind of the inspiration for that had a little, you know, simple groove to follow and all. And oh, so, we love thank it. you. Thank you. That yeah. makes me very happy. Yeah, I love writing oh. for percussion, percussion ensemble. Do you um get to play marimba much anymore or any orchestral stuff? Are you just doing drum set? Like, no, it's really funny because I, I probably I've never practiced harder in my life than when I was in grad school practicing marimba because I didn't really study it that much in undergrad. And um, I, I wanted to like I was in a jazz jazz program, but I really wanted to get that together. And so then I play, I played in the New York pops orchestra, actually 30 years. August was my 30th anniversary of being in the New York pops, which, so mostly I have played drum set in that orchestra, but uh, you know, go back and forth between the percussion section. Uh, sometimes acts bring their own drummers or whatever. So then I'm just back in percussion. Last year I started, I mean, I, I might've played <laughs> anyway, historically I'll be like, okay, here's a few notes of glockenspiel, never marimba. But last year I think it was like a, 
it wasn't Spanish eyes, but it was something like that. I had a few of those like nice thirds rolling in thirds on something that was like a bossa nova that made me crack up because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Might have been three or four mallets. It wasn't hard, but I was just I laughed because I'm like, yay, my degree. No, <laughs> but it was literally right. I, I, it was honestly it was a, like 25 years since I really played. I mean, I have a really nice marimba, but unless unless I have a reason to be doing it, I don't practice it. Mm -hmm. Very rarely, or, or sometimes I, I do it and I'll play like a, attempt to play chord changes on it or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have a vibraphone, but I that's what I, and I, I love love the instrument. When I my first year of semester of college, I went to Ithaca College and uh, very unprepared. I was I was too young and I shouldn't have been away from home. I was um, you know I left high school a year early, so I was there and I was like sixteen. And but Gordon Stout was the teacher. Oh, you can right. imagine. I wow. can imagine that and Gordon and I are still friends, but I just always imagine, oh my God, here I here I here I am like, what's no to see again? <laughs> <laughs> but and it's Gordon Stout. But right. in my my undergrad class class was uh Michael Burrett, you know, mm. one of the greatest concert right. marimba players too. And I remember him in percussion ensemble that semester, him him watching and Paul Smadbeck. Do you know Paul? Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Song? Composer, right, he, yeah. Was a, he was a grad student that same wow. the semester. So I, I had a lot of uh, like a you know great inspiration my my one semester at Ithaca, but uh, Michael I remember watching Paul or somebody in percussion ensemble and him saying Are you reading that like he was so like I, just funny to see how he just grew into into this you know virtuoso of the and how everyone starts with the you know learning all those mad skills of reading and musicality mm -hmm. et cetera so it was a great experience it made me love made me love the instrument mm -hmm. but no. No professional marimba player here. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gordon's such a sweetheart of a guy. I've gotten to do some of the uh, PASIC things where they've had mass marimba orchestras, and he's been there, and he's been so generous, and he's a really nice guy. Oh, yeah. And, and he's a great composer, too. Oh, I yeah. Love his music as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, his piece, uh, Reverie, I remember playing in, in, in a graduate recital, too. That's very beautiful. I love that one. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Um. So... Um, when you were deciding to pursue music as a career, um, was it an easy transition from high school to like with, I just know so many musicians where they said they wanted to become a musician and sometimes their family's like, really? Um, you know, so what was that like for you going to pursue a career in music, a professional career? Yeah, it was like that. My yeah. mother, my mother pleaded with me to study, uh, computers. I remember her vividly. It was when it was kind of, um, so it was like, um, like, uh, 80s, early 80s, when I was an undergrad, my mother just, please study computers. You'll be able to be a secretary, kind of, you know, right. don't blame, I don't, you know, blame her at all. I mean, that, that era she grew up, women had, those were like, my mom didn't have the vision of what the hell is a jazz drummer? <laughs> right. You know? Right. Uh, no, but it was it was easy because, like, like I said, that's all I ever wanted to do. And, and in high school, I had good teachers that gave me a lot of inspiration and direction. And then after Ithaca, or I floundered around because of my because of my youth. By the way, I also had two roommates who were seniors. There was three. I don't know why I was in this room, but those girls had some activity in that room that I wish I had not witnessed <laughs> with guests. Just by the way, to go on with my uh -huh. my undergrad psychosis. Now, then I went to um, to Binghamton University. I was lucky to to transfer there right away, and just had a unbelievable opportunities to play. Um, after a while, when I um, my teachers. Uh, appreciated my playing then I got a lot of professional opportunities and playing with a band in Binghamton New York was a great great icon bass player Slam Stewart mm. he lived there he played with Gene Krupa he played with Buddy Rich 
you know, uh, sorry, not Buddy. He played with Benny Goodman, you know, and and Krupa, and that, and and he had a famous duet called Slim and Slam, and he was he was iconic, brilliant player. He played with Errol Garner, so I got a chance to play with him quite a bit, and that was very inspirational. And a local musician named Al Ham, who just had he had a dance band, big band. He had a concert big band, and and he booked all the shows that came through, like the arena I mentioned previously, called the. I don't know what it's called now, but, you know, Escapades, Ringling Brothers, like uh, any show that came through town, I got called to play all of them, like all percussion. Uh, you know, that's how I think I really developed some great reading skills from the school ensembles and just, you know, he called me for all those. So I feel like crazy. I just can't imagine growing up and having all those opportunities was like, it was, um, it was really something. When I think back, I'm like, wow, my God, that was so incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Music Performance Trust Fund, funded all these concert gigs and with Al's uh, his big band was called music unlimited. It was a rep, you know, he played, you know, all the classic big band charts, not, not his, his dance band played all the classic swing charts, but buddy charts to Shiko Akiyoshi and Woody Herman and Maynard Ferguson. And just, you know, all those bands. And sometimes some summers we did like easily like 35 concerts. They paid $27 a piece, but it didn't matter. You know, I would have done it for free. (laughs) It was just, it was awesome. But that, I mean that, yeah. Wow. Growing up there. So when I started making some money, my mom felt a little bit relieved, having no clue, you know, and no clue how to help me or direct me, but it did somehow it didn't matter. And that's, that's one of the things I, you know, if you, you have students too, if you relay anything to them and what Stanley K used to always say is you have to be very, very passionate about it. It's not something casual, like I like to play the drums. No, it's very now more than ever. It's, it's a very, you know, challenging field to be, to be in. It, it always is a challenging field to be a freelancer, but wow, now especially. So you have to really love it, really love it. You can't casually like it because, no. you know, because you're like, oh, my God, this is so great. And you're like, why am I rejected by all these record labels? To so like, oh, my God, I got a gig. Like, where are all the gigs? Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's very there's very few in between. It's either you're on the top or, no, or nothing's going on. It's like you have to get used to that uh, disparity there somehow. Yeah. And, and, and coming to, well, for me, again, I'm going to use, because as I get, you know, once you, once you, once you start passing 50, at least for me, my, I feel um, uh, a lot more confidence about not trying to be a million different things or, uh, or not having a concern that I'm not a specific kind of player. And my focus is like, this is what I got. This is the best I'm presenting to you. The very, very best thing I have to offer you. And this is, and I'm very thrilled not to be um, like, you know, 20 years. I'm like, oh my God, I can't play funk like Steve Gadd, you know, and be crying about it, you know. Right. And uh, Jeff Hamilton, who was one of my major, major influences and inspirations, told a funny story. I'll tell the short version, but basically he was in the studio doing something and the producer or whatever, the band leader or somebody kept saying to him, no, Jeff, it's like a Gadd thing. No, it's like a Gadd thing. And Jeff's after like the fifth time, Jeff left. He goes hire Steve Gadd. Mm-hmm. Right. And that you know, that stuck with me so much. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but you know, and I especially like my gosh, even to play one Broadway show now, you feel like I have to be great at funk. I have to be, you know, uh, you know, heavy metal and rock, and I have to be like an authentic Cuban guy, and I have to be this way and that way and this way. Now we should all know something about all of those things. That's part of our jobs, but. You know, I'm very happy to just, this is what I love most of all, and this is what I'm giving to you. 
I feel that's, you know, to me, and that's a, that's a great place to be in versus, you know, any other mindset about, I mean, concentrate on, on, on what you are and the best of yourselves versus what you're not. Well, you know? yeah, I, I totally get that now because I'm not 50 yet, but I will be very soon. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll welcome you to the, to the half century club. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I remember in undergrad and high school and even in the beginning of my master's, uh, we'd have master classes with like Michael Barrett or somebody. And I would get so down on myself because I could, I'm like, I'll never play marimba like that. And then yeah. I don't know when it happened, but eventually I was like, I'll never play marimba like that. All right. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I had to come to the realization, like, I'm not him. I can do my thing and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I like doing and I'm going to try to learn as much as I can about all this other stuff, but I can't be, I can't be all these different things, but it took decades for me to have enough confidence to go, yeah, I'm not him and I can't do that. Well, and then, and then I think true and it, you know, for, for many people in the professional, in the professional field, it was, it's hard to. It's hard to say out loud sometimes, you know, to say that I'm not this or I'm not that or I can't do this or or for a lot. And I'm sure it's for for you, for for me. I really had to dig, not really dig that deep because I already knew it. I know it's in my heart and heart and soul and what I'm most passionate about. Following that rule of you to keep going, you know. And as a as a band leader, there's more. It's not just playing your instrument, you know. It's extra. I say in band leader years are like dog years. <laughs> you know, times seven. It's like how much like stress I feel. I'm surprised my yeah. I feel happy. My hair is not all gray yet, but uh, man, it's that that added layer. So just to do what I'm really passionate about, and where's my happy place in music? And that's you know that's yep. that's what I pursue with full aplomb now. And if like somebody called me up and said, "Oh, will you play this wedding? It's all Jimi Hendrix music," and I said, "Uh, this was like." maybe three years ago, I saw their charts. No, we're going to do it just like the record. And I said, no, I, I, I'm not, I can't because I'll go play basic rock beat. Number one. I love Hendrix, but I'm not going to listen and memorize all that stuff. Right. I don't want to, I don't yeah. love that music enough, you know, right. to make $500 for this wedding for four hours or whatever. I don't know. I think to me that was like, it was years ago, but it was sort of a, it was a acknowledgement, like going in the right direction. Right. Cause if you say, if you say yes, then that's complete, arrogance and disregard for how awesome Hendrix is, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that, why would I go in there? Like, I, I can do it and like play, you know, I can't, I can't, I don't know that music well enough. Mm -hmm. And, and one student of mine, when I was teaching at NYU, his name is Joe Abantan Tuono. He was, a, he's a great drummer and he got some gig. I think it was with Britney Spears or one of those people like, like that kind of pop thing. And yeah. now he was a great jazz drummer, this guy, a great funk drummer and all, but he, um, He's like, okay, I want to do this gig and make a lot of money, so I'm going to immerse myself in. I, I might, I might not be Britney Spears, maybe I forgot who else. Like, uh, but anyhow, he he, all he did was listen to that music. So I mean, mm -hmm. that's what you have to do, I think, for us, because it's not, it's never the rhythms, man. We can read a rhythm off a sheet of paper. That's not music. That's ink and paper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the music is how we make it feel and create right. it with each other. So yeah, I had I a moment. Always, I was reading an interview of uh, the late great uh, Neil Peart years ago, and it was like going way back and it said when he was growing up one of his idols was keith moon and he wanted to be keith moon and he kept trying to be keith moon and then he came to the realization that he didn't have the personality to be keith moon he was more structured and that symbol goes here this goes here which is the antithesis of keith moon so it was really cool reading that because he was like yeah i can't do it i have to be the best me i can be so i'm just going to do that so it was a really yeah. cool yeah i like that little uh 
Dr. It's a Dr. Seuss saying. I actually, sometimes I put it in the end of, uh, if I hand to a clinic handout, sometimes I put this little thing. It's something like, uh, today is today. It's truer than true. There's nobody on earth who is youer than you. Oh, yeah. Something like that. I like that right. one. I put that all over the place. Because, yeah, yeah, that's, that's well, especially in all the creative arts. I mean, after you have a certain amount of technique and chops and musical information, the best thing we have to give is ourselves, the most creative part of ourselves. Because, no one else has that except the individual who's sharing it. So that's that's kind of a great place to come from. Yeah. And I always use uh, Louis Armstrong with my students. I'll play a Louis Armstrong piece for them. And I'll say, you know, who does he sound like? And they'll all look at me perplexed. They're like, what? And, and then one kid will go, himself? I'm like, boom. <laughs> I'm like, that's what our goal is. And we all sound like ourselves at some level. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Let's see. One or two more questions, then we'll be done. Uh, this is oh. fun. Oh, hey, you know what, Sean? I wanted to tell you how much I liked that uh, video I saw of you online. It was kind of a. It was it a cartoon? There was some kind of filter on it. It looked super cool. I think oh, you were playing with brushes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I love that. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, I got this new iPhone. It's an iPhone, whatever. And there's all these gadgets on it. I'm like, oh, I'll try that. And then one of my friends had to make fun of me because there was no audio. He's like, those are the softest brushes I ever heard. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but that yeah, was pretty. That, cool. that looked really cool. Thank you. Um, since we're talking about gear and stuff, um, I'm obsessed with cymbals. Like when I hear somebody mm -hmm. start playing, I'm like, oh, what's that ride cymbal? What's that ride cymbal? What are those hi-hats? What, what are your go-tos for big band playing, your ride and hi-hat and stuff? I just, uh, I had, you know what, I'm one of those, I like to get like one, same with drums, stuff that I love and then I never change. I mm -hmm. love the sound once I find it. I had one of my favorite uh, 18 inch Sabian hand hammered crash crashes cracked when I was on a tour and it kept cracking and I still have it. It's actually, as it cracked, it's it, to me, it started to sound better because <laughs> it, um, cause it got darker, it cut out yeah. some of the high overtones. Anyway, every, every year I go to a Sabian, well, they not this year, but had to have a, an event in New York and I'm a Sabian endorser and they bring all of their new symbol products. So I started playing their artisan line and it blew me away so much that I, I for I don't know how many years, 25 years or whatever. I was just like, I have to get these symbols. So I have a whole new set of all the artists in line. Mm -hmm. I had to crash in 20 inch ride with a couple rivets in it. It's they're very, that dark, beautiful, just warm wash and not high overtones. So I love that. The, the cup is a little bit deeper than my, my previous symbol was a Manhattan ride that I also loved Sabian loved at 20 to 22 inch, not 20. Anyway, my, I used, I also have, I got a set of uh, a very old K hi-hats that I was at, doing a workshop on Long Island and the, the band teacher said to me, he was giving me some drums to take some to kids in New York City. And he said, take these cymbals, they're dirty, the kids won't play them. And I looked at them and I'm like, uh, you know, I said, well, these are old Ks, you could sell these for $2,300 or $2,000. No, I can't, the school won't let me just take them. And I said, really? But these are like a vintage, incredible instrument. Nah. I said, well, can I keep them? He said, sure. So I have wow. a pair of those that I've rec recorded um, in the past and love love those. And then I I have uh, Jeff Hamilton um, Sabian, um, his his swish knocker, his, uh, mm -hmm. big, his Chinese symbol. I have one of those that I like a lot. And a couple of other Sabian. I love the China sim China to ride on a China symbol like Mel Lewis did. I just he was one of my idols too and for big band playing. And I just, I love that trashy, nasty, like in the gutter, very like, you know, gritty sound. But I have um, a long, long time ago when I was uh, 
with the Zildjian, they were replicate trying to replicate Mel's symbol, China's China symbol, which was a, a generic Chinese symbol. I mean, it, was, it wasn't from any company. And so the, I believe I was told it was the first one. I was visiting the Zildjian factory, the first one that came off the assembly line, the prototype. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have a stamp on it, but I have really? that Chinese symbol. And I play that one all the time. Yeah, I have one of their 22-inch, uh, or what is it? 20, yeah, 22-inch swish knocker with all the rivets, the symbol. I love that. Yeah. I'm seeing, is it back here? Where is yeah, it? <laughs> mine's around here somewhere, too. I forget where I put it. <laughs> it's laying around here somewhere. Yeah, yeah I, love, I, lo- I love that symbol. I just, yeah. I love that. So, yeah, and I play um, a Yamaha Maple custom drums, and I mm-hmm. use um, I I love uh, Aquarian modern vintage heads. They're amazing. They're yeah. amazing. I love them. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, and Vic Firth. I yeah, I just I love Vic Firth, and I love what's I love your model. What uh, stick do you? What's your stick of choice? SD four. Okay. Small with the. I used to like um. I Zildjian had a stick called Concert Jazz that I really really liked. It had a teardrop bead, and then I uh the when I went to Vic Firth they had the same the same kind of shaft as that stick, but uh, you know uh, it's got a small ball a bead on the the tip of them, but they're light. Yeah. Uh, what do I? And I like. Them. Uh, let me see. I've been using these lately. What are they? Oh, the modern jazz Vic Firth. Yeah. The MJC4. I really love these guys. They have like. That type yeah. of tip. Yeah. 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 yeah like the, the tips were out faster than anything. Yep. Yeah. I have to keep getting new ones. All right. So that's good for our gearheads that are listening. Uh, they'll be able to. Well, I feel like so not a gearhead, but you know what? I will tell you the most tragic story. The Maple Custom drums I had that were their one of um, got well. Long, long story short, the I, I always have a, um, an 18 inch bass drum and I use a 20 inch bass drum in, in the big band. And my my small version of my Maple Customs got stolen out of my car in New York years ago in front of a jazz club called the Catano, which is on Park Avenue. If you can believe this, I was parked there, and just it was not, the gig was over. But now, mind you, it's freaking Park Avenue. It's a high end neighborhood and everything. And man, within seconds, all the drums are gone. I came back out and I was like, "What? What?" And the car it didn't look like anything was tampered with. Wow. A detective came right away and said that it was a ring of people doing this because this happens all the time. They have some lock picking. They punch. It was in a hatchback. Pull it up, and it's like people in a van, and they have your drum. They took all my hardware. Wow. I cried. Yeah. If anybody ever sees a natural maple drum set with gold lugs, <laughs> and I looked so hard for so many years on you know, Craigslist and eBay uh-huh. and all over the place saying I would buy these drums back. Everything I recorded for years and years and years. And, oh, my God. It's still, I, I really, I couldn't stop crying. And then, but then as I had, wasn't a, a happiness, uh, Greg Field, great drummer, mm-hmm. um, uh, who's and played with Basie and Sinatra. He, um, I was crying on Facebook about it. And he said, oh, he goes, I have that same drum set. And I'm getting, he was getting whatever the new Yamaha, I forgot what, some hybrid kit. And he's married to Monica Mancini, Henry Mancini's um daughter. He's like, Monica won't let me have too many drums in the house. I'm going to send you this drum set. Oh, so wow. he sent me, he sent me his Yamaha kit. That was the same as the one that got stolen. Oh, that's beautiful. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Greg Field. Thank you. It was so, I was just makes me like, uh, I, uh, we all have to do that for each other as drummers. Yeah. You know, that was such a gift and, you know, wow. made my playing yes. less. Yeah. Really nice. What do you do when you're not playing drums? Uh, do you have any activities you'd like to uh, engage in? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a very uh, avid hiker. 
not not hiker with with technical gear, but I've uh, um, when I turned fifty, which is a while ago actually, I I had a goal of hiking um, Mount Whitney, which is the tallest mountain in the lower forty eight. It's in uh, California, Lone Pine, California. So I did that. Uh, I love hiking. So that's like you know I'm also a you know, I like, I like cycling. I haven't, I haven't done it as much as I used to. And I used to be a pretty avid runner and ran a marathon and a bunch of half marathons. Wow. So now in the pandemic, I might, I can, now I might get back into some of that. Cause I sort of missed that. And I, I started, I started when, especially when I started touring with a Maurice's show, we were gone a lot and I, I'm not, a, I was never a couch potato, but I like, I like those kind of individual individual challenges like i'm gonna ride you know and it, it's called a century when you ride your bike 100 miles so new york when i lived in new york they used to have a city century that was around all five boroughs and you end up in central park i did a few of those so i like those like individual like this is all about you know get your own you know get your brain together and like do this big challenge i don't know sort of like practicing a lot or whatever <laughs> you have a, a goal right. but it's, it's individual so not relying on a you know a team or whatever I like that. I, I started, uh, I've always liked to cook, but this, uh, the isolation has made me really like cook a lot. So I've been really <laughs> into cooking, uh, but I cook like a jazz musician. I'm like, I don't know, some of this, some of that. Let's see how this comes out. No, right, really right. like zero. And then, but then when it tastes really good, I'm like, damn it. I don't know what I, I forgot. Like the ratio. What I do? <laughs> yeah. Then I try to replicate it and I'm like, not so good this time. <laughs> like when you play a solo, whoa, that worked. Oh, this is not good. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's oh, that's great. And what do you, you do? Me? <laughs> yeah, um, when you're not drumming and when percussing. I'm drumming, I've been uh, doing a lot of home uh, improvements uh, mm. since the pandemic hit. Uh, I mm -hmm. kind of uh, consider myself an amateur handyman. So we oh, built cool. a fence for the dog out back, uh, you know, updating some siding on the house. Um, I have four kids, so I'm always doing something with them. My wife's a drummer, so there's a lot of oh. different stuff happening uh, all the time. Yeah. That's great. That I love that that skill and um yeah, being able to handyman stuff. I just mm -hmm. I my partner and I moved into this barn. I don't know. You probably can't quite I don't even know where to put the camera. But well anyway. Wow. Well it's hard to see, but it's a <laughs> beautiful. Oh look at that. It's like a loft up there. Yeah. Wow. So we That's just beautiful. We bought this and we were, we moved from Philadelphia where we had an an old stationary factory that we converted. And lived there, and then we got sick of the city, so moved about twenty miles west. So this is an old dairy barn from the eighteen hundreds. Beautiful. That we live in now, so it's a uh, we're converting it. But my father-in-law is like a genius furniture builder, and he's he's actually had a lamp store for sixty years. And so he's a. Whenever we say we're doing something, it usually means he's coming over to work like a maniac. <laughs> I hear you know? hear that. My dad used to do a lot of the stuff around here, and I just uh, would observe him uh, doing stuff. So hopefully. Uh, I'm living up to his standard in all my projects. Yeah. I don't know why I always get like freaked. I always have like an idea, but then I get freaked out about, I'm so, I don't know why this is like a mental block. Like if I'm, I, I'm scared to measure stuff. Cause I, I don't like when it's like seven and three. Oh, right. and so I'm like, Oh my God, like it's not going to fit. So if it's too much, and my father-in-law is he's like, and start sawing within like one second. He built us these amazing, huge sliding barn doors just for this one, I mean, they're gigantic. They're like 12 feet high. I mean, he's just, he, he's so cool. I love that. So, so I'm your fan for that. That's Kudos. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. Mm -hmm. um, so what new musical projects uh, should our listeners be looking for 
from you, from the big band, from your small groups? Uh, thank you for asking me that. Well, I just, well, I was think I was telling you, I think I was telling you we just finished um, a virtual big band recording. We were in, in, and we talked about how much I love live recording. So usually in March, we do our resident run at Dizzy's Club in New York, and we were going to do a new live recording there in March 2020. Uh, called Diva Swings Broadway. So we have all, I have all brand new charts of the, you know, some classic Broadway hits. And um, well, we didn't get to do that because it was canceled. So we did a virtual, uh, a virtual big band recording that I'm going to put out any, any day now of uh, the sound of music. Our Barry Sachs, Claire Lee Pilzer is a great writer. And she wrote this kind of Nestico bassy vibe version of, you know, boo doo, boo doo dot. One of those real like local yeah. kind of swingers so that's we're, i just watched the video just b before we got online here and it's really fun so that'll be out and um my my trio uh the trio that toured with maurice Hines show is called a 3d jazz trio we put out a cd um a couple of months ago called i love to see you smile and we did one virtual live stream cd release that was done in a great studio in maryland with super cool camera angles you know, so there's a lot of like behind the drums and like all over the instruments. That's archived on something called Blue House Productions. And then we have a brand new uh, Christmas CD that's coming out again, uh, probably in the, in October sometime. I, 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 thought, I thought that's too early, but then I've already seen like three Dolly Parton, uh, Warren Wolf, great vibes player, and somebody else, like three people are already advertising their Christmas CDs. Yeah, get it out there. <laughs> well, we, so that's that's what's called Swinging in 3D and that'll that's coming out. Um, man, I was in Lowe's the other day looking for something and I, all, the whole right side of the store is Christmas trees. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not even Halloween yet. I know. I don't I hate too much. Like stop rushing us. Right. <laughs> no, but anyhow, yeah. So those, those two projects. And then I, you know, I have, uh, I have had things are the, the whole New York pop season was canceled. That's supposed to start and back up in February. I'm not confident the Metropolitan Opera announced it canceled its whole yeah. 2021 season. So I don't okay. know if the, big, if the big halls are going to follow that. We're booked in Dizzy's again for March or for our, our annual March with the big band. But again, questionable, depending on what happens with the pandemic and a vaccine or whatever. We had, you know, again, I, my quintet five play had a, a jazz meet symphony concert booked. Um, I pretty sure in February, I'm pretty sure that's going to be postponed. And uh, so I don't know, <laughs> online, online, online things, teaching at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia on Zoom, doing okay. a bit of that, which is a, has its own challenges. I, I, the limitations of it sometimes as grateful. I know we're also, I'm God, what can you imagine how without Zoom and, you know, these platforms and Skype and, the, and whatever we're doing now, whatever this is called. Right. <laughs> so it's not great. Yeah. But you know, I always like find myself with the students. I'm like, oh, let's, and I'm like, we can't play together. It's right. just, the limitations are, are as extraordinary as the benefits are. So it's, uh, it's a mixed bag for, for playing together. But, it, but in, de in December, um, I'll get together again with my, with my trio to do another live stream from the studio I mentioned for the, for the Christmas CD and, but that's it. I don't know how your live performances are going, but it's really very, yeah. very slim. Of yeah. We're doing a, I'm doing one with the singer uh, this Sunday, but it's just the quartet behind him. It's going to be uh, videotaped and they're going to push that out. It's going to be in a theater, but no one's going to be in there except us. So yeah. I'm happy to work with some people, but it's just not, you know, it's not enough. <laughs> 
I know it's so yeah. yeah it's so funny, and I I sometimes and it's so bizarre. My sister said my youngest youngest sister. Both my sisters aren't nurses, but my youngest sister said to me one day, "Don't you just miss your life?" And I don't know if I a hundred percent ever thought about it exactly that way before. And I then I started, you know, and I was like, I, I do. I mean, it's the obvious that of course we miss live gigs, but then I when you think about all the things that are attached to that, and emotionally, and of course artistically, but just you know all the touring and the camaraderie and the exchange of ideas artistic and otherwise with people you collaborate with. It's just, I, I wake up sometimes and I open my eyes and actually the first thing in my mind is this can't be happening. Right. Or this, or this can't be real. Then I have to shift gears so fast or else, you know, I can just go. I had that moment today. I had to, I was, fixing i was covering up the pool i had to go get something i ran into home depot with my mask on and saw everyone with their masks on i'm like so this is still happening it's real like it's like it's so like beyond comprehension yeah and then that uh, you know the, the thing that we do is so gone i mean not it's so gone and i but so but you know simultaneously so grateful for opportunities like this or even teaching on zoom or having ways to still reach out and connect with people but that huge part i mean when you talk about how long and of course the older you are the more you know the more years are in, invested in a, a career that's one thing and now the whole career it's gone it would mm. i keep but you keep feeling it uh, and I, I know this maybe this is a, a stupid analogy but i forgot what you call this where if somebody loses a limb they can still feel the limb right i don't right. know what that's called, but i still we still all of us everybody still feels it all performers still feel that that thing that you want to you do you know you, it's not you got to make music with like Willie Nelson said on the road again, making music with my friends. Right. That's, you know, that's, uh, you know, it almost brings me to tears, but that that's, that's gone. And it's so weird and so difficult. You right. just have to, you can't look into the future and say, why are my gigs in February canceling? Why is this right. canceling? You know, you just, I think it literally has to just make every day the best you can. Cause if you start thinking that way. Yeah. Like, and you know, I, I just try to be as creative as possible. You know, thank you for doing the, uh, it's not out yet, but um, the um, Connecticut Halftime and the Three Camps uh, virtual project that we're working on with the Rolling Buzzards Brigade. That's a rudimental drumming group that I just kind of concocted. And it's not, a, a lot of people have signed up and have done it. And uh, that's one exciting thing. So even though there's the pandemic, I look at that as a win because I'm able to collaborate with some folks that I've never collaborated with or maybe wouldn't ever. So that's one thing that I'm trying to like, okay, there's one win for this. I have these yeah. collaborations happening. Yeah. That was really, that was really fun to do. Thank you. Yeah. I can't wait to get <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, me too. And I, I love Connecticut halftime. I just, I, I played that as we discussed with my uh, triplet phrasing, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I love playing. Yeah. I love, and I actually, I'm teaching it to students now with the triplet phrasing, right. <laughs> not quite, not quite at your tempo, but yeah, that was a little yeah. brutal. Jay Burns. Yeah. More. Yeah. Yeah, I, right. love that. Yeah, I love that piece. Hey Sherry, thanks again for taking the time to be on the podcast and this video. Um, I look forward to talking to you again in the future and hearing all the great music that is going to be coming our way from you uh, with your large ensemble and your small groups. Thank you, Sean. It's a great pleasure. Really, thank you again. Anytime. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. See you later. Thanks. I'll talk to you. Bye-bye. To find out more about Sherry, please visit the links in the description of this podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Kennedy, and this was Backstage at the Enharmonic.